Welcome to Cows on the Planet, podcast number 25. This series of podcasts will be exploring the science of beef production, beef, and impacts of cattle on the environment. My name is Kim Stanford, and I'm from the University of Lethbridge. I've never been much of a hunter. I always felt more like the hunted when deer season opened up and shots began to ring out, and I wondered if our farm was under attack. Sometimes it was under attack as during bird season when some idiot was firing from the road through our shelter belt towards our house to try to shoot Hungarian partridges and we all had to hit the dirt. My co-host is Dr. Tim McAllister, a principal scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, also in Lethbridge. Our topic today is should we be eating invasive species instead of beef? I know that your family had more than the occasional meal of wild game during your youth, but is there anything in particular that you are looking forward to in our discussions today? Sure, Kim. Yeah, we ate a lot of venison back in my early days. My father used to go on a hunting trip every fall and would bring back the meat, which would sustain us through the winter. But that meat was never wild boar, as far as I can remember. I don't think there were a lot of wild boar around at that time. But we're hearing a lot more about those invasive species. The game that we would have been consuming were not invasive species. They were natural species like deer and elk and moose. So looking forward to hearing what Manuel has to say about these invasive species. So to give the lowdown on wild boar as an invasive species, our guest today is Dr. Manuel Juarez, Livestock Phenomic Scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Lacombe. Welcome to Cows on the Planet, Manuel. Thank you for the invitation. So Manuel, can you describe the long and winding or maybe short and direct path that you took to becoming the Livestock Phenomic Scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada and what is livestock phenomics, just for the listeners who may not know? Sure. I decided I wanted to become a veterinarian when I was about five years old and stubborn. So I kept thinking about the same topic and went to college and it was great. I got my degree, but I also had a chance to collaborate with the Department of Genetics there for over five years. Then I had the chance to work in, in the genetic selection programs of the most famous traditional breeds in Spain, the Iberian pig, the Merino sheep, Andalusian horse, even the bull fighting bulls. Once I graduated, I worked at a dairy and swine farm in Finland. Uh, I got an MBA because I was planning on, on working more for the private sector. Uh, but then I was offered a PhD scholarship back in Spain, and I enrolled in something we call the, the European Doctorate. So this allowed me to do my PhD not only in Spain, but also in Ireland and Italy and have some contacts in, in France. That PhD actually started focus on genetics, but it evolved into a carcass and meat quality study. Then when I went back to the private sector, I actually was working developing brands for high-quality gold meat. That was in 2008, and next year, by January 2009, I came to Canada for what was supposed to be a one-year postdoctoral experience at the Lacombe Research and Development Center under Dr. Jennifer Alford. But that year became two, and then at some point a position opened within AFC that was very much my profile it was the livestock phenomenon scientist position. And this program aimed at linking traditional animal production and carcass and meat quality research with the work on genetics and genomics. 
what somehow I have been doing for years in a different capacity. So lysophenomics, there are multiple definitions. I can give you the two maybe that I like the most. Uh, one of them is, is maybe more technical. It's the systematic acquisition of high-dimensional phenotypic data on a genome-wide scale. So that's, that's a bit mouthful. Uh, <laughs> for me, I like more talking about measurement of phenomes, so all the phenotypes that you can measure on a living organism as they change in response to genetic mutation and environmental influences. So it's really collecting large amounts of phenotypes to be applied to other uh, research So basically your pathway took you all over the world. You went all through Europe before you suddenly ended up in Lacombe, but that's, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, pretty much. It was funny because I ended up in Canada because I met a scientist from New Zealand who was working in Quebec in a meeting in China. <laughs> but that's how research works. Sometimes. Yeah, no, that, that very much is very much is an international group. So, Manuel, there's been some suggestions in the media that people should switch to eating wild game instead of farm species such as cattle, with invasive species at the top of the ethical menu. We've also been hearing in the media about wild boar populations, particularly a, a concern over the possibility of them serving as a vector for African swine fever into our farm swine populations and that these wild boar populations are increasing in Western Canada and are becoming established in places like Elk Island National Park outside of Edmonton. Do you have estimates of the number of wild boars that might be present in Western Canada and as a whole and in Alberta? And how do they go about estimating the size of those populations? Uh, first of all, we, we should clarify what we understand as wild pigs, fair pigs or wild boars, right? Uh, in Canada, wild boars were introduced in the 80s, 90s uh, as an alternative livestock or hunting species. At the time, it was thought it wouldn't be an issue because they wouldn't be able to resist Canadian winter. Many of these animals escaped or even they were freed to serve as, as, a, as a hunting option. But they adapted to the environment and there were also pigs, domestic pigs that have escaped uh, traditional farms and there was uh, quite a bit of crossbreeding. So we don't really have what we would define as a pure wild boar, like the ones that we see in Europe. It's more a cross, a, a hybrid between domestic and wild boars. Sometimes they are pure domestic pigs that escape from the farm, and sometimes you have some percentage of wild boars. It's very hard to find 100% wild boar anymore in the prairies. And so we are talking mainly about these wild pigs, these hybrids. Said that, I don't think there is uh, any official estimate for Canada or Alberta. The USDA has estimated about five, six million wild pigs in North America. That includes Canada. Half of them actually in Texas. There is a program in Canada uh, at the University of Saskatchewan with Professor Ryan Brook, who have been studying wild pigs in the prairies for a long time. They have documented more than 60,000 encounters today. In Alberta, wild pigs have been spotted in at least 28 uh, municipalities. Uh, and based on the extension of resources available in the prairies, Dr. Brooke has estimated that if the population continues growing the way that we have seen in the last year, there is enough capacity in the landscape to accommodate up to a million people. Most likely today we are talking about tens of thousands. And how do we estimate numbers? How do we measure the peaks and the location? Well, some of the methods that are most commonly used include aerial surveys, either through helicopters or even drones in recent years, trail cameras, GPS collars, and then, very importantly, citizen uh, science photos or uh, 
just people who see animals in their farm or when they are on a trail and they send these, uh, these images to the provincial authorities. And then also local and traditional knowledge from people living and working in the area. So uh, interviews with people in different uh, in different areas and we tell you where we have seen them for many years or only recently. So that's a very good resource. But as you see, it's not 100% accurate. So we only can estimate at this point. There's, no, there's not a census. I think if we had a million wild pigs suddenly living here, I think we've got problems now, but if we had a million of them, I think that would that would make things an awful lot worse. Until fairly recently, I worked with Alberta Agriculture, and I remember back in the 1990s when the idea of bringing wild boar into the province was being proposed, and I didn't think it was a good idea then, as some of them had already escaped captivity in other regions, but I was part of the peon class, and there's no way to criticize the boss of the boss of your boss for having what I thought was a really bad idea. What attempts now are being made to control wild boar populations. I've just heard about there's this new $75 bounty on wild boars in Alberta. Does that mean basically it's open season and everybody can just go start shooting them as we see them? But just how are they being controlled now in Alberta? Yeah, in order to deal with invasive species, the first thing we need to understand is why they are so successful in our territory. And the main reasons for the continued increase in size of the wild hog population in the prairies are their flexible diet, the reproductive traits, which include early sexual maturity and high fecundity, their long lifespans, the lack of natural predators, and their ability to adapt to new environments and changing situations. In a way, they are like humans. They can eat anything and everything, and they adapt when the situations change. So the average litter is six piglets, but because of the crossbreeding with domestic pigs, you can have, they can have litters up to 15 piglets. And they continue reproducing during the whole year. Again, by being hybrids, the productive traits have almost enhanced compared to the European wild hog. Now, in 2008, when it was clear that they were damaging crops very frequently, Alberta declared them a, as an official pest. The provincial government started requesting landowners and any citizen, really, to report any wild boar activity, including sending images whenever possible. Saskatchewan and Manitoba uh, have similar programs, and there are also programs to compensate those landowners, uh, those farmers who are losing uh, value on their crops because of the wild hog activity. The new wild boar control program has really two components. One is for trappers and landowners, and this one is aiming at eliminating entire sounders. So the sounders are the groups of wild pigs, and they reward uh, $75 per set of years. So that is, is a potentially good, a good approach you have landowners and professionals trapping these large groups of animals. That's similar to what uh, the provincial governments are trying to do by themselves. The second component, maybe the one that you're talking about, that has been a bit more of a concern for some people, is the one-year bounty pilot program, where, again, hunters this time receive $75 per set of wild boar years. This is similar to a program that ran from 2008 to 2017. Alberta was paying $50 per piece and more than a thousand wild boars or wild pigs were killed through this program, and then it disappeared maybe because of declining interest. So we have to see what happens. We can maybe discuss more about the issues with individual hunters and not killing the whole sounders, but it's only one year program. And if you read the 
uh, the web page of the government of Alberta, they are saying that the main goal is to help with government surveillance, uh, surveillance efforts. So maybe these hunters looking for the pigs and reporting by selling the ears uh, will give an idea of where the wild pigs are in the province. So, Manuel, can we talk a little bit about the damage that these feral pigs or wild boars do to crops and pastures? A couple of years ago, I was bicycling down the Danube River in Germany, and ever so often we'd come across an area that looked like it was a series of bomb craters. And we heard from our German friend on the trip that these were spots where wild boars had been digging. And we were actually also in New Zealand at one time hiking there, too, in the backcountry, and we come across areas that looked like a cultivator had gone through as well so from our recent podcast on fish habitat and cows and fish i imagine that compared to cows wild boars could do a lot more damage and serious threat to biodiversity and is this the case and and what particular species would you say that are probably most vulnerable to the action of these invasive species wild pigs are one of the worst invasive species in the U.S., the estimates for losses due to crop damages are over $2 billion per year. In Canada, we are not at that level, but the claims have increased. And a single province can est- uh, will estimate that there are tens of thousands of dollars every year. And that's only going to increase when the number of pigs continue increasing in the phrase. And this doesn't include other, other damages like vehicle collision or damages to infrastructure. A significant difference between wild pigs and other invasive species is their eating habits. Uh, as I mentioned before, they are omnivores generally. So they operate both as large predators and herbivores. And they predate uh, pretty much anything that they can catch. So vertebrate and invertebrated species, they attack nest size. We don't have that issue in Canada, but they can hybridize with other soy with other types of, of wild pigs. Uh, will become an issue for conservation and they compete with the native fauna for resources and then we can also talk about the vectors for disease then dating habits also or the the life habits include rooting and digging what disturbs the ecosystem uh, internationally it has been reported that wild pigs have threatened close to 700 taxa or species in, in 50 different countries and 40 species have been driven to extinction just because of the impact of wild pigs. In North America, the number of threatened taxa is, is around 20, and in Canada, the species that are uh, more endangered would be nesting birds, small mammals, strong amphibians, and even deer. But now, crops and native plants are also obvious components of the diet. As the number increase, the impact on biodiversity will become more and more evident in the prairie. Well, it sounds like they're definitely threatening. The meat from wild boars, Manuel, is supposed to be delicious, and that's why they were imported in the first place. But would it damage the current control efforts you talked about where they're trying to catch the whole sounder? So would it damage those control efforts to have the general unskilled public trying to hunt them? Because they're so smart, maybe smarter than some of the hunters, which that comment might not make me too many friends. But when they know they're being hunted, do they scatter and then become more difficult to find? I'm just worried that having the bounty on wild boars, it might help for tracking populations. But if, but if they're actively being hunted by people that haven't got experience hunting wild boars, that it might make their eradication more difficult. You know, the, the interesting thing about the new program in Alberta is that you go to the webpage in a document published in 2020, also by the government of Alberta, 
and they're still active on their website. They include a very big text box where it reads, hunting wild boar is not a solution. Non-professional hunting of wild boar at large can actually make it harder for organized control efforts. So basically what you are saying, because but boars are very smart. So if you start hunting them and they survive, and that's the problem of not hunting the whole sounders, is they, they learn, they become more nocturnal, they disperse to new locations. So yeah, it's an issue. And it's not only over of Alberta that is providing this message on their webpage. Uh, other provinces uh, have the same recommendations. If you go to, to the ones in the US, they, again, they recommend not hunting, but contacting the authorities. Now, said that, there have been some organized groups, mainly farmers, who have coordinated efforts to reduce or even eliminate the populations of wild pigs in their areas with a relatively high level of success. This may be the hope for the pilot program, not that maybe people organize and do it in a professional manner, as well as respect the additional information regarding the distribution of the animals within the province. But we have to see, as I say, it's a one-year pilot program. It's too soon to discuss what's going to happen, but yeah, there are some risks with that approach. Other options for population control being considered or used around the world include traps or whole sounders, again, sterilization, different techniques, trying specific poisons, or even hunting whole sounders with uh, machine guns and helicopters. <laughs> Sounds like it's armed war. We're, we're talking about a war on wild boars. <laughs> well, in Texas, there are programs where tourists actually can pay to go on helicopters and hunt the wild things. Yeah, only in America, I hope. <laughs> yeah, that's the only one I have seen it, yeah. <laughs> Tra traps and, and Judas pigs, or pigs with a tracker that allow to locate the whole sounders, uh, are more popular in Canada. The reality is that there isn't a single method that is going to be 100% effective. These animals are very smart. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh. We need to combine strategies, and we have to be ready to, to adapt. For example, fertility control uh, has been reported to not be enough to reduce populations in significant numbers, but when you combine that with hunting, it seems, it seems to increase uh, the efficiency of both methods. But the sad part is the experts believe that maybe we have reached a point at the phrase where we cannot really talk about eradication. With the large numbers that we have, and the large extension of territory, if we control the populations, we may have to be happy with that. There is a difference between Canada and Europe. I mean, it's uh, usually a sounder. In Europe, it's going to move in a territory of around four, 500 square kilometers. Here in Canada, the same groups of pigs are controlling an area of four to 500 square kilometers. Uh, and it's the type of uh, landscape that we know in the prairies where it's very hard to chase an animal. So, Manuel, the average beef consumption in Canada is about 28 kilos or so, and it's realistic that there's enough wild boars to substitute for beef. Like in The Omnivore's Dilemma, which is a pretty popular book, they're proposing that it would be more ethical to hunt your own meat than it is to farm the meat, but it really does not ignore the welfare of the hunted species as well because it's got to be pretty stressful for any animal that's being hunted like that as well. I will start with the ethical concern, and I guess it all depends on your starting point regarding animal welfare and your own values uh, surrounding meat production in general. Uh, you, you take the approach of groups such as PETA, neither animal farming nor hunting are ethical. Uh, the viewpoint is that although hunting it may have been necessary for human survival in, in historic times, we cannot justify it today. Yeah? Now, 
On the other hand, if you consider that hunting is an option, there is a relatively large body of literature supporting the fact that hunting is actually more ethical than factory farming. And reasons uh, include the opportunity of the animals to live in the natural environment without human intervention, the chance to escape the hunter. But in terms of the kill, the supporters of this idea argue that most of the deaths in nature will involve more suffering than in the hands of a hunter. But different hunting methods, of course, are going to present different challenges to this argument. No, we are talking about machine gun in a helicopter. Yeah, I think that would be very stressful. <laughs> the machine gunning in helicopters, yeah. yeah. It has to be right up there on the stressful. <laughs> yeah, I, I know the hunting myself, but what I can tell you is all the hunters I have met in my life agree on the fact that it's the responsibility to minimize the suffering of the animal. In the particular case of white hogs, this is even more important because they can get aggressive when they are wounded and they can attack you back. Now, from a meat quality point of view, stress leads to poor meat quality. So even selfishly, you are aiming at eating the meat of the animals. You want the death to be as rapid and stress-free as possible. Now, if you disagree with all this point, then you have to think also about is killing pigs the right choice because therapeutic hunting is the kind of hunting that we are really talking about here in Canada, and that involves killing wild animals in order to conserve another species or entire ecosystem. As we have previously discussed, wild hogs pose a threat to normal species and can lead to their extinction. Is it moral to let these animals kill others which not have a chance against them uh, as they evolve in an environment where they were not traditionally present? Well, that's the discussion, right? Now, if we look at the potential use of the carcasses for meat production, that's a good opportunity to take advantage of the invasive species. Uh, um, again, in Texas, they, they are doing so, and some people are making some money out of it. As a plus, now we are always talking about the environment and climate change, while pig meat uh, has an negligible carbon footprint. It's carbon uh, print, uh, zero, even negative, because you are using a resource that otherwise is using the process anyway. The meat itself is, as you say, it's tasty. It's not gaming. It has a like a nutty flavor. It's very rich. Uh, nutritionally, it's very high in protein, very low in fat. It's rich in, in antioxidants because of the diet of these animals. So these are all the positive attributes in terms of nutrient-dense food. And that's when we talk about wild hogs. Now, in, in this case, with wild pigs, they are crossed with domestic pigs, so it may not be exactly the same, but most likely because of the lifestyle, not the the meat would be quite similar to those reported for the white boars in Europe. Now, there are things to consider in terms of meat quality, like bortain. Bortain shouldn't be an issue with females or smaller animals, but when you go into a male over 150 kilos, well, that can create that specific flavor and over on the meat that is not visible in any way. And now, finally, <laughs> answering your question about replacing beef with white pig meat, we would not be able, even if we wanted to, we would be able to supply the amount of meat required to substitute the beef consumed by Canadians. But even if we could in the future, let's say that pigs will go crazy, we are talking about different products. Just because they are meat, they are not the same thing. I, uh, and they provide different eating experiences. I would like to see as much wild pig meat use as possible because uh, I hate food waste, but I don't see this product as a competition for traditional meat, not today. Yeah, I've seen actually out of the U.S. they have the wild boar cookbook, so everybody can, you know, start cooking their wild boar. But 
if everybody is killing their own wild boar for food and then hanging it in their garage to butcher it, does this cause food safety problems? And like in my youth, I've had to spit out a fair number of bone chips from deer that have been butchered with a chainsaw, but food safety issues are concern. I'm also worried about like a different kind of safety that the wild boar may kill you while you're trying to hunt them with their razor sharp tusks. And I've heard that there have been people killed in the USA. And even if they've got their machine guns and helicopters, it sounds like it's possible that the wild boar may kill people that are trying to hunt them. So comments on food safety or just hunting safety, Manuel? Yeah, no, those are all very good points. In Spain, where I come from, a veterinarian is supposed to inspect the carcass of all animals hunted in the wild to guarantee uh, that it's safe to consume the meat. I know this is not common practice in Canada, but meat from wild pigs comes with uh, some risk and a lot of, of lack of inspection and poor manipulation, and especially defective cooking can lead to serious health concerns. The common sense approach, as some people, I have seen some people discussing, well, it's common sense, you just cook it properly. Well, that may be enough when you are talking about self-consumption, but it should not be enough when a product is commercialized in any manner, if at some point we get there. Uh, I, I, and maybe going first to the point about being attacked while hunting. Yeah, that's a possibility. The uh, average size of these pigs is uh, around 150 kilos, but some males can be uh, heavier than 200 kilos. That's over 400 pounds. So there have been some ca- cases of hunters that are badly hurt or, or killed. Usually outside of hunting, there are no reported attacks on wild pigs, but hunting uh, comes with that risk. The other concern regarding the risk of untrained hunters, uh, we're talking before people shooting other people. Well, my expectations would be that although there is a reward for hunting wild pigs, hunters are being encouraged to do so right now, this will not lead to people just no, uh, dismissing basic safety rules and official requirements for use of firearms. Uh, so hopefully we won't see any of the accidents in the next year. Now, the main issue when using individual hunters versus trappers or coordinated groups, as I said before, is that it's very unlikely that a single hunter is going to kill a whole hunter. And when that happens, the animals that survive, as we have said, become smarter, more reserved, and harder to find them in the future. So, man, what about zoonotic diseases issues with wild boars? There was a recent paper that I read that was published in France, which showed that wild boars can carry the same E. coli bacteria that cause hamburger disease in people. Cattle can also carry that particular bacteria as well. But are there some other diseases that are common in wild or feral pigs that may be transmissible to livestock species or people? And I already mentioned one of the ones that I know that we're very concerned about in in North America is African swine fever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wild boars can act as reservoirs for many important infection diseases in domestic animals. Uh, it's important they can have up to 50 different diseases that could create a risk. Some of the most important ones include dichinellosis, brucellosis, hepatitis E, uh, tuberculosis, leptospirosis, and, and of course, classical and African swine fever. These animals have contact with livestock in different ways, but also with crops and can lead to outbreaks of these diseases. And some of them have serious consequences. For example, loss of health st- status required for export market. Uh, you have one cow that tests positive for certain diseases, and now that becomes an issue for international export. Another important concern uh, regarding beef cattle is also the stress. So the, you, you see that there are images of wild pigs interacting with cattle, and cattle get stressed, 
The same thing happens with wild animals. You have wild hogs. You usually, you don't have deer. You don't have uh, many bears in the area because they, they escape. As you mentioned also, uh, you know, the, the streams, you know, the water where wild pigs exist close by, usually have 40 times more E. coli bacteria than regular streams. So that's the risk uh, interacting with livestock and wild animals. But there are risks for zoonosis. Not long ago in Canada, there was an outbreak of trichinellosis and that was linked to the consumption of wild boar meat. In Europe, most trichinellosis uh, outbreaks are due to the ingestion of improperly cooked wild boar meat. In Canada, trichinella is not as prevalent as in Europe, but it's a concern. And one of the most important things that we can do is cook the meat properly at least to one degrees on the inside at the internal temperature. Some people have this meat that you can freeze meat and that's enough, but that's not reality. Freezing doesn't kill parasites. And then we have other issues like the brucellosis, and that can be not only from eating the animal, but also contact with the blood. So hunters have to be careful. It's recommended at least that you cook the meat quite a bit, but uh, you have to consider these other options. Now, African soil fever, that's a big concern. Uh, when we look at Europe, Belgium, Germany, Poland, and now Northern Italy have identified wild pigs uh, carrying the virus. And these animals don't understand anything about borders. Right? So a pig from, from Germany can keep going up to any other country in Europe uh, and carry the virus. Uh, right now, in, uh, this is a big concern because you know, there's a high mortality from African swine fever. So many of these animals just die on the wild and their carcasses have massive uh, virus load that uh, is stable for a long time. So they become reservoirs in nature. So many European countries are spending quite a bit of money to find these dead animals. Imagine that happening in Europe with the large extension of territory that we have to cover. Now, most likely, if African soil fever hits Canada, it won't be starting with wild pigs and most likely will start in some farm. But there's going to be some contact at some point where wild pigs could contract the virus. And once that happens, if that happens, hopefully it won't, it becomes a different issue. You have to contain a province because there are some cases there now you have wild pigs going to a different province. So now it's not as simple as, uh, as we said. And this happens not as much because wild pigs are in direct contact with these domestic pigs in the farms, but they are close to the farm. There are many documented cases where pigs visit the same farm many times, but they are also feeding on the crops and on the farms that then are used, are used to feed the animals. So it's a big concern because also this virus is quite resilient. So a very small viral load entering a healthy operation uh, will rapidly become a disaster, not only for the farmer, but the whole sector. So this is a concern. and I think the pork industry is looking at this as, as a potential issue in the future. Well, thank you, Manuel. You've been a super guest, and I think I'll be waiting till I get my machine gun before I start going out and trying to hunt wild boars. So, Tim, we've heard about the increasing population of wild boar in Western Canada, but how hunting these species has challenges concerns with diseases, and potential safety concerns with an expanded population of hunters. What are your take-home points from what Manuel had to say? 
Wow, Kim, they're obviously a significant concern, and it looks like it's pretty challenging to control that population and eradication, as Emmanuel said, may be pretty much impossible once they move out into wild areas. I think one of the key messages, you know, he, he described about how wild boars or feral pigs are omnivores and will damage a lot of ecosystems. I think it really speaks to the impact that an invasive species can have on an ecosystem as you compare to a species such as beef, very much like we've talked in our episodes about the bison, about how they've basically filling an ecosystem with an animal that was very similar to an animal that evolved naturally within that environment. And I think in those kinds of situations, the amount of environmental damage or threats to other species within those ecosystems is going to be much less than if you're looking at an invasive species such as wild boar or feral pigs. Thanks also to our listeners. If you are enjoying our podcasts, please share them with your friends who may be interested. We're always happy to take suggestions for future podcasts or revisit topics from old episodes if there's something we have missed. You can send us some feedback on our Facebook page, Cows on the Planet. We can also be reached by Instagram at cows on the planet or Twitter at planet underscore cows. Our next podcast will be a shameless true crime ripoff in an attempt to increase our listenership. We know that these true crimes get a lot of hits in terms of listeners. So we'll feature Dr. Karen Schwarzkopf-Genskwein discussing cows that kill. We need to thank our production team. Carter Potts is our audio engineer and theme music developer. And it's looking forward to the end of this term. UV Abiscaria is working on podcast posting and photoshopping up a storm for social media. And Christy Thomas is our social media guru. Now for some words from our sponsors, which are the Beef Cattle Research Council, Canada Beef, and the University of Lethbridge. Nothing we are talking about represents the views of these organizations. We're just looking for the honest opinions of other scientists, farmers, or experts in any of the areas we are discussing. Mm-hmm.